Today's episode is a little different. We're hearing from Devin Clymer, a speech pathologist who is a communication specialist. Let's hear what she has to say. Welcome to the Pre-PA Club podcast. If you want to learn how to become a physician assistant, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Savannah Perry. Let's get to it. I want to thank My PA Resource and PA School Prep for sponsoring the Pre-PA Club podcast. So My PA Resource is a personal statement editing service that edits only PA school essays, only edited by PAs, and most of us have admissions experience. So I am one of the editors. Definitely check them out if you need help with your content, grammar, flow, making sure that you are on track for turning in your application. And you can use the code FUTUREPA for a discount on any of their service options. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Savannah Perry, your host. I am a dermatology PA, the host of this pre-PA club podcast, and the creator of the PA platform which is a website that should help answer all of your pre-PA questions. If you've never checked that out, now is a great time with CASPA opening in just about a month and a half. So you've still got some time to work on your application. And I have some things coming up that are going to help you do that, that we need to talk about. So before we get to our interview with Devin, which you are going to love her. She is so sweet. If all goes well, this should also be on YouTube. I had some issues with the episode last week, but working on getting that posted, but this should be on YouTube as well. Um, But Devin actually founded um, a healthcare communication consulting business called Communications Connected. And so she helps healthcare professionals learn how to effectively communicate to get the most out of their medical careers and provide the best patient care possible. If you've worked in medicine, you have probably realized that communication can be an issue at times. And so we're going to hear from Devin on some techniques and things that you can keep in mind for dealing with conflict. And I think even some of these kind of points and and thoughts you can take with you into interviews or ethical settings. Um, So a lot of just really great info in today's interview. And you'll be able to check out all of Devin's information on Instagram at Communications Connected or her website, communicationsconnected.com. And I'm so glad she reached out. I'm trying to have, you know, a lot of variety on the podcast this year. And I think so far we've had that. Um, But if there's something you want to hear or you want me to be on the lookout for, I'm happy to do that. All right, some things coming up. If you follow along with the PA platform on Instagram, You probably saw that this week I announced that there is another book coming out and this will be the PA School Personal Statement Guide. This is something I've been working on for about three years. Apparently that's how long it takes me to get something done. And I'm really excited about it. I think I've just, you know, I've been editing personal statements for a very long time. It's something that everyone struggles with. And so I'm putting everything together into this book. So it will be available next week on Amazon and on the PA Platform website. And um, be on the lookout on Instagram for giveaways and information. But we talk about logistics of the essay, uh, content, mistakes. It's got brainstorming worksheets and prompts. editing and a master checklist to make sure you're on track 
It also has um, a bunch of essays. So I think there are 12 essays in there with comments um, and different, different types of scenarios that you can kind of get an idea of what you need to be doing for your essay. Um, then there's also sections on supplemental essays, essays at the interview, and then experience details. So it really covers a lot of material. It's about 200 pages. You can use it more as a reference, um, but shouldn't take you too long to get through. But be on the lookout for that. It's very exciting. Um, also, if you're listening to this in real time, next Tuesday on March 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern um, will be the next free monthly webinar. And we are talking about CASPA because everyone always has a ton of CASPA questions. So that'll be next week. Um, the link is in the bio or in the description to sign up. I'll also be posting on social media. Um, so that is definitely something to be on the lookout for. Um, one other thing coming up is in April, April 12th through 15th, we'll be holding a CASPA boot camp summit. Um, so this is going to be every night at 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern. Those sessions will be recorded, but you can find all the information for that on prepaconference.com. Um, and if you have any questions about that, let me know. That link is also in the description. Um, I'll be talking more about speakers and specifics in the upcoming episodes and weeks, but just wanted to go ahead and give you a heads up to mark your calendars. I think that's all my announcements for now, but let's get to our interview with Devin and I will talk to you guys later. Well, my name is Devin Clymer. I am a medical speech pathologist and also a communication specialist and consultant. Uh, I work in a hospital currently per diem still. And uh, recently I founded uh, my own business. It's a healthcare communication consulting business called Communications Connected. And I just help dedicated healthcare professionals learn how to effectively communicate with not only patients, but also their colleagues and, you know, with job interviews and things like that, just to get the most out of their medical careers. So that's kind of, you know, my mission with that. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, we'll definitely get into hearing some of your your tips in that area for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, great. What, so what has like your educational path looked like? How did you get into this? Sure. So by, in terms of my, you know, speech therapy, you know, educational path, it's been kind of straightforward. I went to Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin for undergrad and majored in speech pathology. So I kind of came into college knowing that's what I wanted to do. And then I came back home um, to the Cleveland, Ohio area. And I went to Case Western Reserve University uh, for graduate school. And, you know, it's there. I majored in communication sciences and disorders. And I chose Case Western because it was very medical and research focused. I kind of knew right off the bat that I didn't want to work in a school. You know, I, you know, just had it in my head. I wanted to work in the hospital. So I kind of got to skip, you know, the school setting and all that, which was great for me. You, you know, I know a lot of people like that, but for me, it was perfect. So that was where I really got, you know, a lot of experience, just training in hospitals, mostly. Um, I did one placement in like a long-term acute care setting, which was great too. Um, and then straight out of grad school, I uh, was able to get a job at one of my last uh, rotations, which was really, you know, kind of 
like the perfect world aligning there that I was able to get that. And yeah, ever since I've been working in hospitals and it was my work in hospitals, you know, where I kind of came up with this idea of, you know, really digging into communication skills training for healthcare professionals. Um, you know, just during my time, I had been asked, you know, to give in services to mostly a lot of times it was medical residents or medical students, even and nurses, just all about communicating with usually it was they were asking me to come talk about communication with the interdisciplinary team and kind of how to make that as effective and efficient as possible. And it was just from speaking with a lot of, you know, people I worked with of all different um, you know, backgrounds, you know, whether it was nurses, doctors, physicians, assistants, you know, just a lot of different people where it seemed like, um, you know, especially depending on the program or the specific training that communication skills weren't really taught all that much. So that's kind of then, you know, what spurred me to kind of create this and um, yeah, from there, it's been history. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, it really isn't something I, I a lot of people think communication is common sense yeah um for sure there are definitely I think strategies and things that you can work on yeah both probably the one communicating and the one being communicated to totally <laughs> yeah and I think I think it's kind of when you're put in a situation where maybe you had a really not so great you know, interaction either with a patient or with their families or with a coworker. And then that's kind of when you realize like, oh, well, maybe it would be helpful to have, you know, some strategies in my back pocket that I would be able to pull out so that, you know, I could make my interactions just a little more positive in the end, you know? Uh, so I think that's something that, especially in the medical field, you know, people go through when during that time, it can be really stressful and, you know, kind of a lot. I know we've all had those like really difficult situations or difficult patients and their families and stuff like that. So I think it's something we all kind of go through. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And that's what I remember in PA school, we did have one, um, he was a physician and I forgot what the name of the class was, uh-huh. but it was something, I almost want to say it was just, they put it into like ethics or something, but yeah. um, he would come and he made us all do role-playing with different scenarios and yeah. I felt so weird and silly. Yes. Like it was actual scenarios that you face once you get into working in medicine, like dealing For with sure. patients, angry patients difficult bad news yeah all of those things and so totally pressure in front of your whole class to have to yes doctor but um ultimately like it was it was really good (laughs) practice yeah sure I know it seems like because I know at one of the hospitals I worked at they did something similar where you know it involved a lot of role playing and you know I know personally like my personality is I just don't I feel weird doing that you know especially like yeah especially like on the spot like in front of people so I think that's hard like I get what you know the whole premise of is just to you know try to put yourself in a situation that you may likely come across but it can definitely be something that's nerve-wracking to do in front of people yeah a a little weird but yeah for sure that's that's about the extent that we got um yeah what as just for people who we have 
obviously a lot of people listening who are thinking about becoming PAs, but also interested in other professions. Um, Like, what do you do as far as being a speech therapist? Sure. Yeah. So like I said, I work in the hospital setting. Um, So mainly in hospitals, speech therapists, I like to say, like, we kind of cover the lungs up. And a lot of what we do involves uh, assessing and treating swallowing and swallowing disorders, which, you know, a lot of times people don't think about, you know, that being something that's impaired, but we see it so often just with people who are, you know, critically ill or, you know, especially people with respiratory, um, you know, illnesses or failures going on, you know, that's something we definitely see a lot. And of course, like strokes, brain injuries, things like that. Those are a lot of patients we work with, but yeah, a lot of what we do is assess and treat this swallowing or the disordered swallowing. Uh, So we, you know, just determine whether it's safe or perhaps not safe for a patient to begin eating or drinking, or, you know, maybe we determine that it is safe, but we have to make some modifications. So at that point, you know, we would modify the patient's um, diet textures or liquid consistencies to make the liquids a bit more thicker so that they're a little bit more easily controlled when going down. Uh, and then we also do the modified barium swallow studies or, you know, instrumental swallowing assessments. And that kind of gives us more an objective picture of how a patient is or is not able to swallow safely. It's kind of like a video x-ray we do down in radiology or uh, at some hospitals too. Um, speech therapists use the tiny scopes to uh, look at it that way, just at bedside, which is really nice. My hospital doesn't have that, but I know a lot are starting to, especially in like the ICUs and stuff. Uh, So that's pretty cool. And then other than that too, we, you know, we treat speech and language disorders and also cognitive communicative disorders. So that's kind of where we see a lot of the brain injuries or, um, you know, we see a lot of stroke patients who, you know, perhaps have some dysarthria going on or, you know, aphasias where they're just unable to come up with words they want to say, or, you know, maybe their speech is just a bit slurred or something like that. So that's kind of, you know, a it in a nutshell, but I would say probably like 75 to 80% of what I do in a hospital is assessing and treating swallowing. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. And so, and so do you, can someone be a speech therapist just coming out with a bachelor's or do you pretty much have to go to a master's? Program? You have to get a master's. I know some states have speech pathology assistants and for that it's a bachelor's degree. Um, but for to be a certified speech pathologist, you have to have a master's and then do a nine month fellowship. Uh, and then that's how then you're able to get fully certified and then kind of start practicing on your own. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's really interesting that yeah, I'm sure people have interest in that area as well. For sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit on the communication side of what, I, and I mean, working in medicine, you see these issues all the time, Yeah. but what issues were you kind of observing that made you realize like the, this is an area some people may need to work on? Totally. Well, you know, I think kind of what, especially as a new grad, like when I was first coming into my, you know, first job out of school, you know, what really struck with me was when I saw a provider, like, you know, kind of on the opposite side, just being very 
compassionate and taking the time to talk with patients, even if they didn't have a ton of time, you know, still kind of sitting down and making the patient, you know, feel like they had all the time in the world to, you know, to, to really explain things to them. That's kind of what struck me, you know, at first. And then, you know, kind of as I just continued working on, you know, it was just this idea that in medicine, you know, sometimes I know personally, when I work in the hospital, I don't have obviously endless minutes to spend with patients. You know, a lot of times I have a long list of people I need to see and, you know, I kind of got to be in and out, but I think it's how you make the most of your time, even if it's a short amount of time that can really, you know, make a difference. So, you know, I know for me, when a lot of times when I was in a room, you know, assessing a patient and let's say, you know, the medical team, I work at a teaching hospital. So a lot of times it was a huge, you know, team coming in with the attending and a bunch of residents and medical students, you know, a lot of times I would see the team come in and, you know, there wasn't really like an introduction as to who they are or what they do. And it was just kind of like a really brief, you know, interaction that didn't, you know, then the team would leave and the patient would be like, who was that? And what is going on? And, you know, but in the moment, they didn't really feel comfortable asking, you know, for clarification and things like that. So I think also, you know, that's definitely something that I, you know, I don't want to say I see it a lot, but you do see it, especially, like I said, just kind of being short on time and having a lot of people to see and stuff like that. Uh, So I think that's something we're all challenged with just working in medicine, you know, just feeling like you're kind of, you know, just running short on time and, you know, feeling a bit overwhelmed. But like I said, you know, there's been so many providers I've seen where it's like, wow, like this person really does you know, kind of go the extra mile. And what I like to tell, especially my clients is that communication doesn't have to take up a ton of your extra time. You know, it doesn't have to take up a ton of time if you're doing it right. And, you know, doing it in a way that makes, you know, the patient feel heard and understood and all that, it really, you know, doesn't take a lot of time. So that's what I help teach people. (laughs) Yeah. So what do you think makes communication more effective like what yeah so for yeah for sure I mean really when we just look at communication it's really you know by basic definition just the sending and receiving of any type of message you know but I feel like it's what happens in the middle that can be so gray and so nuanced and can be really up for interpretation if not done effectively so I think effective communication is just really minimizing that opportunity for misinterpretation and just being you know very concise and clear in what you're trying to say so that you're just ensuring that whoever you're talking to is able to comprehend, you know, your intended message, just so that things don't mis get misconstrued, you know, especially in the medical setting, you know, like, you know, the biggest thing, you know, I think I hear a lot of is, you know, when there's been instances where errors have happened because of a miscommunication or, you know, or a lack of communication altogether. So that's something we definitely want to try to prevent as best we can, for sure. <laughs> yes, And that's, yeah. And I mean, I'm six years into my career as a PA. Yeah. And I mean, there are still times where, you know, things, the ball gets dropped or there's, I think something that 
maybe patients or anyone who doesn't work in medicine don't understand is like all the steps that have to happen for yes. like a medicine to get sent. Like I yeah. say I want a certain medicine. The medical assistant has to put in the EMR that has to get to the pharmacist. The pharmacist yeah. has to make sure it goes through insurance. Insurance right. has to say yes or no. The pharmacist has to fill what we wanted or look for other options and come back to us or and so there's all these steps and all of these ways that things can happen yeah in the process totally um which is yeah I don't I don't know how to fix that part of things but (laughs) yeah I know there really are just so many steps so I think like I said just trying to at least on your part you know ensuring that what you're responsible for is being a being performed in a way that's easily understood by another person I think that's you know the best way to kind of make the best of that situation because it really is there's so many hoops you have to jump through just to get something done I know how that goes (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah Um, Yeah. most of like our our pre-PA audience and I mean everyone's kind of in the same boat but things I hear a lot are um interacting with patients and communicating with them, but um, I would say even more so communication within the workplace and co-workers, colleagues, and supervisors. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, sometimes people feel like they can't speak up about certain things um, or that they, uh, you know, try to communicate something um, and and aren't being heard or nothing happens. Um, what, I mean, do you have any like practical strategies or techniques for people that they could kind of start thinking about in those types of situations? Yeah, you know, I think one of the biggest things just, you know, and this kind of goes for any, I think, medical professional, someone just working in the healthcare field is just kind of knowing not only your worth, but your role and how it contributes to the team. Just from my own experience, that's where I've had the most success kind of getting something done or like creating some sort of change. Because especially at the hospital, I um, the first one I worked at right out of school, we were kind of in the phase of like building up more of a presence on the acute floors and having to really, you know, kind of change how things were being done. Uh, and it just took a lot of, you know, meeting with not only physicians and, but like managers and things like that. And just kind of really communicating what it is your role, you know, your role is and how it benefits the team and the patient, of course, too. So I think that's something to always keep in mind is just knowing your role and the value that it brings to a team and being able to communicate that in a way that does kind of, you know, really highlight your value and what what you're able um, to bring to the table. Uh, Because I know it can be tricky, you know, especially just dealing with, you know, people of different, you know, just all the different professionals we work with in medicine. So I think just knowing that, you know, you have a specific skill set that, you know, other people don't. And, you know, this is what you're able to, you know, contribute to the group. I think that's one of the best ways to go about it. Um, You know, too, because I think, at least for me, there's been times where, 
you know, I feel like I have had to speak up and it's intimidating, you know, especially depending on who you're talking to, it's intimidating. But I think if you go, go at it from a way where, you know, this is how we can best help the patient. And, you know, I think that's how you are able to kind of have the most success with doing that. But I totally get it. It's hard (laughs) to feel like you can, you know, speak up in that sense. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all just, I, you know, hopefully if, you know, all of us in medicine just want what's best for our patients. So I think that's kind of something important to keep in mind. (laughs) And and on the patient side, um, what, what things do you recommend or find are helpful in kind of making those communications more effective? I know on of being a PA, you know, I, I, I think I heard one time that a patient retains like 10% of what you tell them yeah. in the room or something. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And well, I even think like when I go to the doctor, like sometimes I walk away and I'm like, wait, what? Like, what did I just hear? You know? And I'm, right. you know, I'm even someone who works in healthcare. So I can imagine how it is for someone who, you know, isn't familiar with, you know, a hospital or, you know, a doctor's office and things like that. So I think one of the biggest things you can do is just be really self-aware of the type of language you're using. You know, I know a lot of times for us, you know, we use our medical jargon and it's just second nature to us, but a lot of times patients don't know, you know, what those things are. So I think, you know, obviously if you have a patient who is a healthcare professional, then that's a bit different, but more often, you know, you may not. And so it's just important to be aware of the type specific words you're using uh, and just be really you know, hyper aware of that, just so that you're making sure that your patient can understand, you know, fully what, what it is you're explaining to them. And yeah, I think for sure, just being concise, you know, just give the important highlights and always circle back to that too. You know, uh, of course, you know, explain the whole picture as much as you need to in a concise way. And then I always liked at the very end of an interaction, to kind of go back and quickly summarize, you know, just a handful of important points or not even, you know, maybe just a couple, just so that that's kind of fresh in the patient's mind and makes it a little bit easier for them to hopefully be able to recall it, you know, later on, Um, you know, and just to just kind of being aware of nonverbal expression goes a long way, especially in the inpatient setting too, I think where, you know, machines are beeping and, you know, there's noise in the hallway and stuff like that. You just got to be really aware of that because that can make it really difficult too, for a patient to kind of focus and pay attention to whatever it is you're saying. And two, they're probably tired. I mean, I feel like it's so hard to sleep in a hospital and, and they're sick and not feeling good most likely. So it can be tough. So, um, you know, just kind of being aware of, you know, making sure you're obviously speaking loud enough and making appropriate eye contact just so that they feel engaged with you. And, uh, you know, those are kind of the basics, but I think they really do go a long way. I always like to, you know, sometimes I'm not able to, but I always like to try to like pull up a chair so that I'm on the same level as the patient. Or, you know, if their bed is like really low down to the ground, I kind of raise it up a little so that we're at least at like eye to eye a little bit so that I'm not like towering over them. Um, You know, I think that just helps make the situation just so 
that it's a bit more approachable and not, you know, not kind of so foreign to them. And uh, I think, you know, they appreciate it. And I always too, I try to call the patient, I ask them, you know, what they like to be called. Because um, sometimes too, you know, if their name is, let's say like Thomas, but they go by Tom and, you know, they might appreciate, I think a, just kind of adds like a personal touch to it. And I think that's something that kind of means a lot to patients, especially when they're going through perhaps something that's, you know, a bit of a hard or stressful time for them. So just kind of incorporating little personal touches, I think really helps too. And, um, you know, just truly treating them like an individual, I think it yeah. goes a long way. <laughs> I agree completely. And yeah, in my clinic, I do two things that I try to help with this, but at the end of any appointment, I always ask them, you know, do you have any other skin questions, sure. any other questions about your skin yes. uh, so specific enough that we're not going to talk about probably your blood pressure, but yeah. I want to give them that opportunity that if, if they have anything that we didn't, didn't cover or that isn't clear, yes, we can go over it and yeah. try to address it. Um, and then we also try to write everything down and yes. my medical assistant is great about, um, if I'm talking about a routine or specific products or whatever, yes. she'll write everything down for them. Yes. They're walking out with that piece of paper and not feeling like they're trying to remember everything I said. Cause sometimes I'll see them as I start to talk, their eyes kind of get big or they start looking around like, where's my phone or I need a pen and totally oh, yeah, you got it. I'll write it down for you. you yes. And that's like, yeah, that's perfect because I think just having something, you know, in written form is so much better because then that's something they can obviously refer to in case you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to pay attention, you know, and like take everything in when you're, you're in that type of setting, it's hard. So yeah, writing it down is for sure. One of the best ways to, to help make sure patients are able to kind of recall what you told them. And so that's, that's great. Your point about sitting down. I think I also read a study somewhere that said, I don't remember the exact numbers you might know, it, but it's like, if you are sitting down in a room, the patient perceives you as being there longer. Yes, for sure. Yes, totally. And it does. I mean, just think about it. I feel like that makes so much sense. I mean, if you're pulling up a chair, it does, you know, kind of give off, you know, the impression that you're, you know, just willing to kind of sit down and really go through things with them. And I think that's really, you know, appreciated for sure. And I think too, I mean, there's lots of studies now, which is great, just about the effect of um, communication on the patient provider relationship and how that can even impact outcomes, which is really cool. I read a study recently that was all about, um, you know, how the patient provider relationship affects outcomes in people with chronic disease. I think it was, I forget, I'm pretty sure it was diabetes. And what they found was that people who were felt like they could trust their providers and who felt like they really, you know, were being listened to were more likely to carry out the treatment plan, which I, to me, you know, I think that's, uh, you know, that's great. And, it, but to me, it makes sense. You know, I feel like when someone feels like they're in good hands, then they're more likely to kind of follow through with things. So yeah, things just like pulling up a chair. I mean, it goes a long way for sure. <laughs> Yeah. Um, do you, so these are 
random questions that I didn't send you, but yeah, no, that's fine. Do you think that or have any tips? Do you think that either masks or EMR computer stuff has affected how we communicate with patients you know, or each other? Yeah, you know, masks make it they, they they do make it tricky just because a lot of times, you know, facial expressions have such a big impact on our communication. You know, it's just one of those ways to non-verbally communicate that communicates for itself a lot of times. So just being aware that you're not showing, you know, it's so hard to like see if you're smiling when you have a mask on, obviously. Um, So you have to just be aware of that and kind of you know, just keep that in the back of your mind when you're interacting with someone because the patient isn't going to have that visual feedback to rely on that they normally would. And two, masks can make it a little harder, especially for, you know, our patients who maybe are hard of hearing. It can make it a little bit more difficult for the patient to hear you. So you just have to be, you know, super aware of that and adjust your volume up as needed. And also even enunciating a little bit you know, more than you would. So just over enunciating a bit helps too, especially for, you know, maybe our elderly patients who just have a harder time hearing in general. Um, You know, and I find myself too, just kind of making sure I'm, you know, my tone is just, you know, I always try to be aware that I'm using a tone that's, you know, friendly and kind and inviting and approachable. But I think with masks, we have to be especially aware of that just because we don't can't rely on like us smiling to show off that, you know, we're there and, you know, are, you know, just kind and giving off that environment that is approachable for our patients. So I think it does kind of you know, make things a little bit more difficult, but luckily, you know, just strategies like that are things that you can do that can, that can for sure help. And, you know, I always try not to, especially if I am, you know, typing, you know, pulling up a note while I am with a patient, I always just try to make sure I'm facing the patient and I don't have my back to them. You know, I think that's something that's really important. And then if the patient is telling you something and it's really important and, you know, something that's obviously troubling them, I always, you know, stop what I'm doing and just, you know, give all my attention to the patient. Um, You know, I just had spoken with the a client of mine who's a nurse and she, you know, was struggling with feeling like, you know, there's so much you have to be doing in an interaction, you know, and just providing meds and checking lines and things like that. And of course, you know, we all, you know, kind of just goes back to, you know, having to only a certain amount of time to be with a patient, but just making the most of it and making sure the patient is feeling heard and understood is just kind of always, you know, my message. And, you know, if the patient obviously is trying to tell you something that's really important, you know, I do like to just kind of stop and give my full attention so that they just feel like, you know, I'm truly listening and there's no distractions and things like that. So I think that's just important for us to learn how to gauge. But I know like in a lot of settings, you know, you're kind of expected to be typing and, you know, and while you're seeing the patient. So I get that it's kind of a struggle, but like I said, just kind of gauging the situation and, you know, giving your visual attention, I think really helps for sure. Yeah. it's a lot of that just comes with practice and knowing you're going to mess up probably. And Oh yeah, for sure. Totally. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it all takes practice and nothing's going to be perfect, you know, especially right out of the gates, but 
you know, I think just keeping in mind that, you know, you're in the profession that is working with people who are likely coming to you with something that's, you know, bothering them or, you know, hurting them or, you know, things like that. And even if not, you know, they're still, you know, seeking you for preventative reasons. And that's just as, you know, super important too. So I think just remembering that we're in a people profession is kind of, you know, the, the gold golden rule there you know <laughs> yeah, there, there definitely is a, a service aspect of it it's totally different so yeah well where can everybody kind of like find you and find more information on all of this and sure yeah so I have a website it's communicationsconnected.com so that's kind of my main um, website there and I'm also on Instagram just at communicationsconnected is my Instagram handle and I do a lot on LinkedIn too. And that's just my first and last name, Devin Clymer. Um, it's Clymer, like a mountain climber, but no B. So C-L-I-M-E-R. Um, and my first name is Devin, D-E-V-O-N. But yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn and that's kind of where, you know, I talk to a lot of people for sure. But yeah, usually just LinkedIn, Instagram, and my website are the best ways to find me. <laughs> Perfect. I'll make sure all of that is in the description too. Yeah connect with you but thank you oh so and much. my um my email I'm sorry I should oh, give that okay. too <laughs> is it the one I used yes yeah okay. communications connected at gmail <laughs> I, will yeah. sure I put all of that and so that anyone who yeah. feels like maybe they need some more help or has questions can contact you and right yeah the conversation there awesome well Savannah thank you so much for your time I really appreciate yeah. it yeah. <laughs> coming on